Thanks, Graham. That's fantastic. Well, uh, I remember when I was uh, about 10 or 11 years old, and it was school holidays just like now, um, but it wasn't in winter, it was in summer, and the weather was really good outside. Uh, and for some reason in the school holidays, or that school holidays, I was stuck at home with nothing to do, nothing worse for a 10-year-old. Uh, and because I didn't have anything to do, the days would just get away from me. I used to remember in the afternoons particularly, I felt pretty down uh, because that was the time of day where I'd ask myself the question, oh, did I do anything particularly good that day or, or did I do anything fun? Um, and I vividly remember there was this one particular day where I felt like I hadn't done anything fun for the whole week. Uh, and I remember feeling sad because I'd wasted the day. And I'd feel sadder thinking of how, how much more uh, of the sea school holidays I was going to waste. Well, have you ever felt like that? Like when nothing particular, particularly exciting is planned or going to happen soon? Have you asked yourself the depressing question, what have I got to look forward to? Well, I have good news for you, my friend. If you believe in Jesus, we look forward to knowing Jesus perfectly. But sometimes you might think to yourself, oh, what's so good about knowing Jesus? What's so good about knowing Jesus? Well, that's our big question for today and the question that we'll seek to answer. But today I'm going to tell you the truth. Today I'm going to tell you knowing Jesus is so good. And the best part is there's just there's more to know. Knowing Jesus is so good and the best part is there's more to know. The Bible tells us that we've only had a taste of what it is to know Jesus. And there is much more to know. Well, last week we heard about... Uh, the Philippian church and how they were experiencing issues from within with disunity between church members. And this week we'll discover that Paul is addressing external threats to the well-being of the Philippian church. That is, people were coming in, teaching the Philippian Christians um, that to be right with God, you need to be circumcised. These people may have been Gentile Christians pushing for them to keep the Jewish laws like food laws and getting circumcised, or simply Jews who were trying to persuade Christians to become Jews again and obey the Jewish laws and customs. But either way, uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians to make sure that they aren't fooled or troubled by them. And in addressing this specific issue, Paul reveals another heartbeat of the gospel. That is, the goal that is to preoccupy the lives of all Christians. The goal of knowing Jesus. Paul talks about this because he thinks that knowing Jesus is so good. And the best part is there's still more to know. So here Paul argues that what the Christian has is far superior to what is being offered to them. And he urges the Philippians to remember to remember what is so good about what they have and where it's leading them. Well, first of all, Paul urges the Philippians to remember what they have. That's point one, remember what you have. Sorry, on the outline it says, realize what you have, but I've changed my mind. It's remember what you have, and the passage is going to back that up. 
What I mean is what the Philippian church has is far better to what is being offered to them. So Paul tells the Philippians that they have something to safeguard, something that's precious. That's why Paul says in verse 1, My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So here Paul tells the Philippians what he's offering them. What he's offering them is a safeguard. That is, something to help them know what to think. When people come in teaching them to obey the Jewish law. Also, Paul tells the Philippians why he's writing about this again. So we hear that it wasn't the first time he wrote to them about this issue. So Paul says it's no trouble for him to write about it again. No worries, because Paul so wants them to get it right, and it's so important, he'll write it about it a thousand times if he has to. And then Paul moves on to launch into an attack of these false teachers. We see this in verse 2. And he calls the false teachers dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. So what Paul does here is he uses a few descriptive, ironic words to describe these false teachers. So first he says that they're dogs. Dogs because they're not as holy or as high and mighty as they see themselves. So dogs in the Roman world were the lowest of the low in society. And also they were known for being wild and unruly and relentless. And ironically, it was also the name that Jews used for Gentiles. So what Paul is saying here is so ridiculously ironic and offensive to someone who wants to be a Jew. Next, Paul calls them evildoers. So in other words, not doers of good. So not how they see themselves. And also, he calls them mutilators of the flesh. So this one here is the one that's most revealing of all the things that he calls them. Because Paul could have used the word circumcisers, and that would have been accurate, because that's what they did. Because they think that circumcision is the way to make your bodies holy and acceptable to God. But instead, Paul wants to put a negative spin on what they do, and instead he calls them mutilators. Because what they do is ironically not what God wants them to do. Cutting their bodies is not what makes them right with God. But ironically, that's what they think. Well, why is Paul so quick to insult and ridicule these teachers? Well, it's because Paul knows that the Philippians have something that's far better. What they have is the real deal. He says this in verse 2. For we are the circumcision. This is also full of irony because these people are being circumcised. How can Paul call the Philippians the circumcision? So what Paul's saying here is not so much that they're physically circumcised, but what Paul means is that they are the people that are really set apart as God's people. The people that know God. And then Paul goes on to move on to, uh, to talk about three reasons why the Philippians have it better than these false teachers. 
So first of all, he says, serving by the Spirit of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Paul and the Philippians, they serve God with God's Spirit living inside them, teaching them what to do, showing them that what they do is right. And Paul, Paul knows it's something that these Jewish teachers uh, are to be envious of because they don't have it. And secondly, Paul talks about boasting in Christ because Jesus is the one who's made Paul and the Philippians right before God with his death. So they boast in what Jesus has done for them to make them right, not in their flesh, in what they've done to it to make them right with God. And thirdly, while not believing in the flesh, so reiterating that last point, what Paul means is uh, the cutting of certain parts of your flesh well, it doesn't make someone right with God. Nor does trusting in these things to make you right with God. So what Paul does in verse 1 to 3 shows the Philippians that knowing Jesus is far better than what the false teachers have to offer them. Because that can't even make you right with God. What's the use of that? Well, this reminds me a little bit about something that's become obsolete in the last decade. So, uh, three years ago, I went to move to Sydney to come here to study at Bible College and be at Point Church, and, uh, and I had to downsize, you know, I couldn't move everything. Um, so in my garage, there was a collection of CDs, a big collection, actually. Um, so what happened was, you know, I had to get rid of them, so I thought, oh, how about I download them onto my computer, that way I have them, and they're safe. But the problem was, when I went to download them on my computer... I realized my CD, my computer, sorry, my computer doesn't even have a CD drive anymore. So I couldn't do that. Uh, unfortunately, I still have those CDs and Caitlin gives me heaps about it because, um, because I have no use for them. <laughs> uh, well, downloading things is the way to go these days if you want to listen to music. Well, in the same way, Paul argues that the old way of obeying the Jewish law it's no good for making you right with God. So he considers it obsolete. And he's on with the new things of knowing how he really can be right with God. And how he can be right with God is by putting his faith, his trust in Jesus. So Paul encourages the Philippians to do the same. To remember what they have that, made, that makes the, other, the Jewish teachings obsolete. What they had was far superior to what the false teachers had to offer. Then Paul goes on to further explain why what they have is better than what is being offered to them. And Paul's point is, realize what you have. Realize what you have. That's point two. So here Paul shows the real value of the Jewish ceremonial laws. He reveals what it's really worth. And he compares it to what's far better, the far better things of knowing Jesus. First of all, Paul shows the Philippians that he has everything that the Jewish person would ever want. So he already has the things that any Jewish person would be envious of. So we see this in verse 3 to 6. He says in verse 5 that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. What he means is that he's circumcised on the eighth day after being born from the family of Israel, 
from the tribe of Benjamin. This is particularly uh, loud and clear because back in those days, after the uh, Jews were expelled from Israel, not everyone could prove that they were actually a Jew anymore because the records were gone. Or the lines were broken. But Paul is different. He actually could prove that he was a Jew and from the tribe of Benjamin. He also says that according to his zealousness and dedication to the Jewish religion, there's no better person. He was perfect. So in observing the law, he was blameless. According to the law, he was considered a Pharisee. So a teacher, a religious elite in the Jewish religion. And according to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So he was so dedicated to the Jewish religion that he's willing to comfort, uh, confront sorry, and kill Jews who had left the Jewish religion behind for Christianity. That's how dedicated he was. Paul was literally the jihad, a jihadist of the Jewish religion. He was seeking Christians and killing them. That's what he was doing. That's how dedicated he was to, Jew, Jewish, to the Jewish religion. Sorry. But Paul says that all that before, all of that is absolute garbage. We see his assessment of these things in verse 7 to 9. The things which Paul boasted about and put confidence in in the past, he now sees as liabilities, as a loss after knowing Jesus. He sees them as things which actually takes away from his life. And he even thinks that anything, anything at all that he could possibly gain in the world, well, it's all a loss. It's all garbage. It's all a waste of time. So this could have been Roman citizenship, material possessions, status in society, whatever. Anything that someone might put their trust in, garbage. Paul was willing to exchange all of that for the better things of knowing Jesus. So Paul considers it far more valuable to know Jesus than have everything the world has to offer. But because knowing Jesus can make him right with God. Right with God, not by obeying the law or doing anything, doing things, but by faith in Jesus. And the next bit from verse 10 onwards is where Paul goes really crazy. Crazy because he's in love. So in expressing the kind of love that he has for Jesus, and in his extreme desire to know Jesus, he sounds a bit crazy. So here Paul actually says he looks forward to coming to know Jesus more by experiencing the power of the resurrection from the dead. So what Paul's talking about here is not so much how great it'll be when he sees every dead person coming back to life, his friends and family. You might think that, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is actually talking about knowing Jesus more by experiencing what Jesus experienced when he was resurrected from the dead by God. Paul also looks forward to knowing Jesus more by participating in his suffering, by being like Jesus in his suffering. So Paul sees this as a way which he can come to know Jesus more fully, having experienced what it's like to suffer like Jesus did. 
and possibly even die serving God. This doesn't mean that Paul went around looking for someone who might crucify him, but it's more about Paul embracing uh, and making the most of his suffering for Jesus. Like persecution, hardship, hard work, spending his body, having everyone hate him, doing whatever he can to teach more people about Jesus. He knows that this will deepen his relationship with Jesus because it will give him a deeper understanding of what Jesus did for him. It will give him a better idea of what it meant for Jesus to suffer and die for him. So Paul actually looks forward to this because Paul's deepest desire is to know Jesus perfectly. This is the nature of Paul's love for Jesus. And he wants the Philippians to copy him and experience Jesus' love for them and gain a better understanding of what it, what it is that Jesus did to make them righteous. Well, you know what? It's one thing to say you know something, right, in your head. But it's quite another to experience it, right? So I learned recently uh, that there's one thing that I thought I knew, but I really didn't know anything about. So I thought I knew how much Caitlin, my wife, did for my family on a day-to-day basis. And this all happened because my son, Boston, uh, brought home uh, a wonderful gift. He brought home the wonderful gift of the vomiting bug uh, <laughs> so in, from preschool. So uh, it's one of the perks of preschool. It's not in the policy, though, so you won't find it there. <laughs> but unfortunately, two nights after Boston was up uh, vomiting all night, uh, well, Caitlin uh, came down with it as well. She was so sick, she couldn't get out of bed. And that's when it got real tough. Uh, so that's when I fully realized how much Caitlin does around the house uh, because uh, no one was left to look after everyone except me. And, uh, and so it's one thing to say, oh, I know how much Caitlin does or what she does, but it's another thing to have it dropped on me and for me to do it. Uh, it really helped me to appreciate Caitlin and her role in my life and with the boys and who she is. I really got to experience uh, what she does in a whole different level. Well, in the same way, Paul's suffering as he taught people about Jesus, well, it helped him to have a better idea of what Jesus did. For Jesus to go through all that suffering for us and to realize how much Jesus must have really loved God for him to want to do that. So Paul realizes that knowing Jesus is so good that he would trade everything, everything in the world, everything he could have, just to know Jesus. He's even happy to suffer like Jesus because it helps him to appreciate Jesus more, to know him more. That's how great it is to know Jesus. So Paul urges the Philippians to realize what they have. Then finally, Paul goes on to urge the Christians uh, to eagerly prepare, to eagerly prepare for what is ahead, by remembering that what they have to look forward to is still to come. So, point three: press on towards the goal. That's what Paul says. Press on towards the goal, because what Paul and the Philippians and any Christian and us here today who believe in Jesus, what we look forward to, well, it hasn't arrived yet. And it's so important to remember that Paul says it twice. So for a Jewish man like Paul, 
You don't say things twice. When you say things twice, it means listen up. So first, in verse two, 12, sorry, Paul reminds the Philippians that he has not received his goal yet. He has not yet suffered to the point of death like Jesus did and fully experienced what Jesus did for him. He's not been resurrected, and most importantly, he has not come to know Jesus perfectly yet. That is, he's not arrived in heaven. But Paul's not excited about heaven for the reasons you might think. Heaven for Paul is simply a place where he will be able to know Jesus face to face and be able to know Jesus fully with his new body. But Paul explains that what lies ahead for him before he arrives at the goal is to take hold of what Jesus recruited him for. But what was it Jesus recruited Paul for? Well, if you have a quick look back in Acts 9, 15 to 16, or also Romans 1, it talks about this as well, you'll find that Jesus' mission for Paul was to teach the Gentiles and anyone else about Jesus and to suffer greatly for his name. That's what Paul's mission was, and that's what he still had to do. Then finally, uh, back in Philippians, verse 13 to 14, after reminding the Philippians that he has not taken hold of the goal yet a second time, he, re he really gives the Philippians a good push towards the goal of knowing Jesus perfectly. He does this by explaining his attitude to getting to the goal. That is, forgetting or letting go of what was before, that is his worldly credentials and anything else he might have hold on, held on to. Paul stretches out eagerly for the goal that is in front of him. The call of God from heaven. The dash home before he gets to know Jesus perfectly. Just like an Olympic swimmer who's in front of the pack. They're winning, stretching out eagerly to touch the end of the pool and finish the race to finish all, off all the hard work that has led up to that point and enjoy the glory of winning an Olympic medal, to enjoy the upward call like, like an Olympian is when he's called up to the podium after coming first, second or third, showing that they've done it, they've finished the race. Paul is talking about the joy of completing the task and arriving at the goal, the goal of full fellowship with God. Well, it's a little bit like this. So for a lot of you, I, I, you would have experienced this yourself. Remember when you first came to know Jesus and it was just so exciting, wasn't it? Just to know Jesus, just to be able to know him more, to know that he wanted to know me. That was exciting and that was enough. But what happened? Do we still feel that way? Oh, well, I personally have to say, sometimes I don't. Most of the time I don't. I'll be honest. So waiting for heaven for us is a bit like waiting for a bus. We're just sitting around waiting for the bus. We don't particularly care so much about or in what we do. We don't show that we care about where we're going. It's just this, it's just this impersonal goal. We're just waiting to get there. We're just waiting for time to pass. What happened? It shouldn't be like that. Well, what can we learn from what Paul said to the Philippians? 
Well, we can remember that knowing Jesus uh, offers better things than anyone or anything could offer in this whole world. So rejoice in what we have. We have something great, tremendously worthy. We have a relationship with God. We know God. We know Jesus. And the best part is we're going to know him more. So for Paul, this was so captivating, what Jesus did for him, that he sought to do whatever he could to get to know Jesus more, even suffer and die like he did. Well, what is Jesus motivating you to do? Have you got a proper understanding of what Jesus did? Or has your heart gone a bit dull? Have you, have you flatlined, like, like Jeremy was saying earlier? Do you need to dig into your Bibles more, to rediscover what you once had? To put on a few more sermons while you're commuting to work? Or when you do work around the house? Maybe go to a good Christian conference. Do something. Because we should be excited about Jesus. Jesus. Knowing Jesus is something really great, and we ought to know it. And lastly, remember we haven't arrived yet. So get preoccupied, looking forward to what is to come in the future. Preparing for the future. Because in the future we'll be made perfect in the resurrection so that we can know Jesus perfectly. That's what it's going to all boil down to. Well, to come back to the big question I asked at the beginning, what have I got to look forward to? Well, we look forward to knowing Jesus perfectly. And remember that knowing Jesus is just so good. And the best part is there's more to know. We've only had a taste of knowing Jesus. It's been good, but, th- but there's more. And knowing him is so good that suffering and the hardships we experience in this life here will be nothing. Insignificant. Well, how about I finish tonight by praying for us? Would you please join me as we pray? Dear Lord, we thank you so much for all that you offer us in Jesus. Thank you that we can have it now. We can know Jesus through your word. Um, But Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us, Lord, because our hearts have gone a bit dull. But Lord, we know that you are gracious and you're good. So please help us to dig in to know what we have and appreciate it more and look forward to the goal of being with you. And Lord, we just look forward to that uh, so much. Sorry we don't uh, show that in our lives. Help us to remember what it feels like to know you and how great that is. We pray these things in Jesus' name.